0: In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify.
1: 30 BCE. Alexandria, Egypt.
0: Cleopatra, queen of Egypt, and her lover, Mark Antony, had been defeated by the Roman general Octavian in the Battle of Actium, ending a civil war for control of the Roman Empire. Faced
1: with the prospect of being paraded through Rome as a political prisoner, Cleopatra decided to write her own destiny.
0: She clutched a venomous asp snake to her breast and let its venom poison her blood she died slowly painfully but a far better end according
1: to the roman historian cassius dio octavian allowed for cleopatra and mark antony to be buried together but where he didn't say
0: the location of cleopatra's tomb has mystified historians and archaeologists ever since what treasures might this tomb hold What could it tell us about the life and death of perhaps the most famous queen in all of history?
1: And why is it so hard to find?
0: In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on earth
1: welcome to unexplained mysteries on the parcast network i'm your host
0: richard and i'm your host molly you can listen to previous episodes of unexplained mysteries as well as all of parcast's other shows wherever you listen to podcasts a new episode comes out every thursday You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com.
1: Some of you have been asking us how you can help support the show. Well, if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening.
0: Welcome to this week's episode on Cleopatra's Lost Tomb. Today, we'll delve into Cleopatra's life story and examine why historians are so interested in finding out where she was buried.
1: Additionally, we'll look at how the location of Cleopatra's tomb could have
0: become lost
1: throughout the course of history.
0: Next week, we'll focus on attempts to find it and how one unlikely person may have discovered the location of Cleopatra's tomb.
1: Was Cleopatra truly the seductive manipulator she's been portrayed to be? Or was she a perceptive, calculating leader who was prepared to do whatever was necessary for her kingdom's survival? The city of Alexandria was founded by its namesake, Alexander the Great, in 332 BCE, almost 100 years before Cleopatra was born. After Alexander's death in 323 BCE, his general Ptolemy took over control of Egypt and moved the capital from Memphis to Alexandria.
0: The city would quickly become one of the largest cities in the Mediterranean and develop into a cultural capital as well as Egypt's administrative center. The famous Library of Alexandria was founded sometime around 295 BCE. Shortly after, around 280 BCE, the massive Pharaoh's Lighthouse was built.
1: Regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Pharaoh's Lighthouse was 395 feet high and stood until at least the 12th century CE. At the time of its building, it was the tallest man-made structure in the world after the Great
0: Pyramids of Giza. At the time of Cleopatra's birth in 70 or 69 BCE, Alexandria had a population of about 300,000 people, about one-third the population of Rome. It was one of the most important cities in the world, serving as a link between the Nile River and the Mediterranean Sea.
1: After the death of her father, Ptolemy XII, in 51 BCE, Cleopatra and her younger brother, Ptolemy XIII, her junior by eight years, were named co-rulers of Egypt. As the older sibling, 18-year-old Cleopatra was initially the dominant ruler. But her younger brother soon challenged that authority, and Cleopatra was forced to flee to Syria in 50 BCE.
0: Cleopatra raised an army, and in 48 BCE, she returned to Egypt and faced her brother on the battlefield, engaging his forces outside of Pelusium on Egypt's eastern border. But the clash was temporarily put on hold when the Roman general Pompey arrived in Egypt. Pompey
1: was fighting Julius Caesar for control over the Roman Empire, and Caesar was winning. Pompey hoped to recruit Ptolemy as an ally and ask for a meeting Ptolemy invited Pompey to enter his camp and promptly had the Roman general assassinated.
0: Ptolemy wanted to curry Caesar's favor and hoped Caesar might bring his forces to bear against Cleopatra in exchange for murdering Pompey. But Cleopatra got to Caesar first. As the histories tell it, Cleopatra smuggled herself into Caesar's camp in Alexandria by wrapping herself in a carpet and having her servant deliver it to Caesar.
1: It's hard to say whether this actually happened or not, but we do know this. Cleopatra and Caesar became lovers and joined their armies against her brother. Cleopatra and Caesar defeated Ptolemy, who drowned in the Nile River as his army retreated. Cleopatra was restored to the Egyptian throne, ostensibly leading as co-ruler with her even younger brother, another Ptolemy. She gave birth to Ptolemy Caesar, known as Caesarion,
0: in 47 BCE. Julius Caesar quickly defeated Pompey's remaining forces and triumphantly returned to Rome in 46 BCE. Cleopatra and their son joined him soon thereafter and took up residence in Caesar's private villa but she was forced to return to Alexandria in 44 BCE after Caesar was murdered by a group of Roman senators. Caesar's ally, Mark Antony, emerged victorious
1: in the ensuing power struggle against his friend's assassins in 42 BCE and was poised to take power in Rome. He summoned Cleopatra to Tarsus in modern-day Turkey to clarify whether she had played any part in Caesar's assassination. In the struggle for power after Caesar's death, one of his assassins had requested military aid from Cleopatra. Although she had refused, there was a misconception that Cleopatra was sympathetic to their cause.
0: Unlike Cleopatra's more clandestine introduction to Julius Caesar, Cleopatra traveled to meet Mark Antony with a full splendor befitting a pharaoh of Egypt.
1: Cleopatra delayed her departure from Egypt, which demonstrated that she wasn't beholden to Antony's wishes and reminded him of her powerful position. To drive this point home, she sailed up the Cydnus River in a gift-laden barge, dressed in full royal regalia that associated her with the goddess Isis.
0: Antony was captivated, with any thoughts of his wife back in Rome dispelled— He fell for Cleopatra, and they returned to Alexandria as lovers. Meanwhile, Octavian, Caesar's great-nephew and personal heir, was beginning to exert his power in Rome in a bid for control over the empire. Antony returned home in 40 BCE and came to a temporary peace with Octavian while they discussed terms.
1: As a show of good faith, Antony agreed to marry Octavian's sister, Octavia, since Antony's wife Fulvia had died in 40 BCE while Antony was in Alexandria. This was a purely political arrangement. Antony's heart belonged to Cleopatra, who gave birth to their twin children in late 40 BCE. But the union between Antony and Octavia didn't prove to be the consolidating force both sides had hoped for. Antony and Octavian were unable to come to a permanent agreement and Antony returned to Alexandria in 37 BCE to reunite with Cleopatra.
0: Cleopatra promised to financially support Antony's military campaigns in the Parthian Empire, located in modern day Iran and Iraq. In exchange for her help, Antony would ensure the return of large swaths of Egypt's eastern territory that had fallen under Parthian control. Unfortunately,
1: Antony was betrayed by his ally, Artavastus II of Armenia, who instead allied his 6,000 cavalry and 7,000 foot soldiers with the Parthians. The campaign was a disaster. As a way to mend the relationship, Antony proposed a marriage alliance between Artavastus' daughter and Antony and
0: Cleopatra's son. Artavastus declined, much to Antony and Cleopatra's fury. In retaliation, Antony led an army into Armenia and swiftly defeated and captured Artavastus and the Armenian royal family. He then triumphantly returned to Alexandria with his prisoners in 34 BCE.
1: In celebration known as the Donations of Alexandria, Antony proclaimed that Caesarian was indeed the legitimate son of Julius Caesar. This proclamation made Caesarian the true heir to the Roman Empire and delegitimized Octavian's claim. Antony awarded several territories to his and Cleopatra's children as well, including Armenia. If Antony could get the Roman Senate's backing, his extended family would effectively rule the entire Mediterranean.
0: But Octavian wouldn't go down without a fight— he began a propaganda campaign against Antony, framing Antony's proclamations as bestowing Roman possessions to a foreign queen. He said Antony intended to be buried beside Cleopatra in Alexandria and even planned to move the empire's capital there from Rome.
1: The Roman Senate sided with Octavian and declared war against Antony and Cleopatra in 31 BCE. The two sides clashed in the Battle of Actium on September 2nd, 31 BCE. Cleopatra and Mark Antony were soundly defeated. Cleopatra fled back to Alexandria, while Antony made one last stand outside of Alexandria in a desperate attempt to prevent Octavian's forces from reaching the Egyptian capital.
0: Much to his despair, Antony's forces abandoned him and went over to Octavian's side. To make matters worse, Antony thought Cleopatra had abandoned him and switched sides instead of merely fleeing home. He retreated to Alexandria in a rage. Fearing Antony's anger, Cleopatra barricaded herself in her tomb and sent messengers to tell Antony she was dead.
1: Upon hearing this news, Antony fell into a despair. He fell on his sword, which meant he stabbed himself in what was at the time considered a noble form of suicide. As Antony lay dying, Cleopatra had him brought to her tomb, and he told her to
0: seek Octavian's mercy. Octavian assured Cleopatra that she would be treated well as a prisoner, but Cleopatra was certain that he would parade her around Rome and keep her imprisoned for the rest of her life. Determined to go out on her own terms, Cleopatra reportedly killed herself by a snakebite in August of 30 BCE.
1: Although Cleopatra and Antony had been Octavian's bitter enemies, they had earned his respect. He allowed for them to be entombed together in full regal splendor. The Greek historian Plutarch would later write that Cleopatra's mausoleum was located in a temple of Isis, but he didn't name the exact location.
0: That's probably because Plutarch had no idea where it was. He wasn't born until 75 years after Cleopatra died and didn't write his history on her and Mark Antony for another 25 or so years after that. In fact, although Cleopatra lived in one of the most literary cities of her time, there are very few contemporary accounts of her life. Many
1: of the accounts that do exist tend to be contradictory in relaying the exact details of Cleopatra's death. While the story of Cleopatra committing suicide via ass bite has essentially become part of the historical record, some historians believe she killed herself with a poisonous ointment or a vial of poison. Others believe Octavian had her murdered and spread the story of her suicide.
0: There's also the question of how Mark Antony was buried. He may have been cremated or mummified. Finding their tomb could help historians figure out what really happened and how much the accounts of Plutarch and other writers, such as the Roman historian Cassius Dio, can be trusted. Accounts
1: of Cleopatra's life are certainly more focused on narratives than facts. They tend to be heavily skewed by Roman propaganda, which painted Cleopatra as a scheming foreign harlot trying to destabilize the Roman Empire. The Roman poet Horace, writing shortly after her death, described Cleopatra as, quote, a crazy queen plotting to demolish the capital and topple the
0: empire, end quote. After his victory over Antony and Cleopatra, Octavian was eager to cement his authority over Rome. By encouraging writers to make her out to be a villainous foreigner, he was able to frame his war against Antony and Cleopatra as one against outsiders rather than against fellow Romans.
1: The saying goes that history is written by the victors, and this proved to be all too true in Cleopatra's case. Octavian knew it was impossible to completely eliminate Cleopatra from the historical records, but he could control how she was portrayed.
0: It makes sense, then, why Plutarch's account of Cleopatra's life and death would go out of its way to mention that Octavian generously allowed for Cleopatra and Mark Antony to be buried together, but neglected to say where. Keeping its location secret certainly played to his advantage. Publicizing where she was buried would allow for a permanent reminder of her legacy and make it easier for Alexandria and Egypt's citizens to cast her as a martyr in the fight against the Roman Empire.
1: The portrayal of Cleopatra as a scheming seductress has largely persisted to this day. Plutarch's account of her life was translated from Greek into French in 1559 and served as the basis of William Shakespeare's 1606 play Antony and Cleopatra. Although the play made her seem less villainous than ancient Roman accounts do, it focused on her romantic life rather than her political accomplishments.
0: The most famous modern example of Cleopatra in popular culture is the 1963 film starring Elizabeth Taylor, which focused heavily on her romances with Caesar and Antony. But fortunately, this portrayal of Cleopatra as a tragic romantic figure has begun to shift in recent years. In February 2007, a coin from 32
1: BCE that bore Cleopatra's likeness was discovered at a bank in Newcastle, England. Depicted in profile, Cleopatra has a large nose, narrow lips, and a sharp chin. While it's not exactly the most accurate portrait, this coin showed that Cleopatra wasn't what we regard as a great beauty.
0: Plutarch's account actually somewhat corroborates this description. He wrote that, quote, her actual beauty was not so remarkable that none could be compared with her or that no one could see her without being struck by it, but the contact of her presence was irresistible. The character that attended all that she said or did was something bewitching, end quote.
1: The discovery of the coin helped remind people that Cleopatra's beauty lay in her shrewd mind. She wasn't just a pretty face. She was an intelligent, capable leader whose abilities extended beyond romance.
0: Finding Cleopatra's tomb could allow researchers to learn more about how Cleopatra utilized that intellect to rule her kingdom. Cleopatra's grave goods, the academic term for the various items buried with a body, could give us a more concrete knowledge about Cleopatra's legacy. But her tomb's
1: location has proved elusive for over 2,000 years. It just doesn't seem to be anywhere within Alexandria. Without finding her tomb, is there any way for us to learn any surefire facts about Cleopatra that haven't been warped by history?
0: We'll learn about where Cleopatra's tomb might be buried after this.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: Although contemporary accounts of Cleopatra are few and far between, a few snippets have been discovered over the years— One papyrus dated to 35 BCE refers to Cleopatra as Philopatris, which means, quote, she who loves her country, end quote.
1: It's commonly accepted that Cleopatra was one of the only monarchs of the Ptolemaic dynasty that ever learned the Egyptian language. This might seem odd, since they were the monarchs of Egypt, but the Ptolemy family wasn't actually ethnically Egyptian.
0: Ptolemy was Greek, and his descendants would have continued to speak Greek and observe Greek customs. They reminded their subjects of their superiority by separating themselves from the Egyptian majority.
1: But not Cleopatra. In addition to learning the language and observing Egyptian customs, she also commissioned Egyptian-style portraits of herself. Whether Cleopatra embraced Egyptian culture due to a love of her country or to possibly win the people's hearts during her struggles for power, we'll never know. Whatever her motivation was, the Egyptian people saw Cleopatra as one of them.
0: Another ancient papyrus shows that Cleopatra voiced concerns about her people's well-being. It's dated to around 50 BCE, about a year and a half after she took the throne. It's a royal order proclaiming that despite an ongoing famine, the people of Alexandria will have enough to eat. Nobody who purchased corn was allowed to bring it anywhere other than the capital. Those who disobeyed would be punished with death.
1: Again, this is a case of benevolent leadership combined with cunning politics. Of course, any compassionate leader would want to see his or her people fed during a famine. But Cleopatra probably also knew that hungry citizens were more likely to riot or cause trouble, since in times of famine, the ruling class tended to look out for themselves while letting the lower classes starve. By keeping the poor fed, Cleopatra would also keep them in line.
0: This proclamation was made shortly before Cleopatra and her brother fought for control of Egypt. She was making it easy to portray her brother as an out-of-touch Greek pretender, while she was a true Egyptian leader who genuinely cared about her subjects.
1: A third papyrus, dated to sometime around 33 BCE, shows that Cleopatra's political instincts beyond Egypt were sharp as well. The papyrus states that Cleopatra awarded a Roman trader the rights to export a full barge load of corn and to import 5,000 jars of
0: wine, All tax free. This decision had both economic and political benefits. In addition to creating a free trade agreement, this allowance showcased her as a potential ally to the Romans during a time when many Romans considered her an enemy. It also demonstrated that Cleopatra could forge political and economic alliances that went beyond a sexual partnership.
1: But why are even small insights into Cleopatra's life so rare? Even if Octavian controlled the narrative around Cleopatra after her death, surely he couldn't purge Egypt of nearly every record
0: and piece of information associated with her name. Probably not. Most likely, many of Cleopatra's official records that could tell us more about her ruling style were stored in the Library of Alexandria. A letter from the second century BCE states that Ptolemy I founded the library with the directive, quote, to collect, if possible, all the books in the world, end quote. This obsession with collecting books and knowledge continued throughout the Ptolemaic dynasty. In addition to its vast collection of literature,
1: the library also contained the full body of Egyptian records. Surely Cleopatra's would have been included. Unfortunately, most historians think Julius Caesar inadvertently destroyed the library and its vast collection of
0: knowledge. After Caesar sided with Cleopatra, her brother besieged them in Alexandria in 48 BCE. Caesar set Ptolemy's ships in the harbor on fire, and unfortunately, the fire spread to the city itself.
1: Although Caesar never wrote about how much the fire damaged the city, Plutarch later explained that, quote, Caesar was forced to repel the danger by using fire, which spread from the dockyards and destroyed the great
0: library, end quote. Unlike Plutarch's account of Cleopatra, which painted her as a villainous foreign seductress, Plutarch had no reason to speak badly of Caesar. After Octavian became the Roman emperor, Caesar was glorified as a way to provide legitimacy to Octavian and his successors, There would be no political reason to incorrectly pin the library's destruction on Caesar, so Plutarch can probably be trusted here. On the other hand, at the time of the
1: library's destruction, Caesar had quite a few enemies in Rome, including the senators who would murder him a few years later. If Caesar were solely to blame, they probably would have pounced on the opportunity to let the world know that Caesar was responsible for destroying the library.
0: Regardless of who was responsible for the library's destruction, we do know that by the time the Greek geographer Strabo came to Alexandria in 25 BCE, the library was gone, along with hundreds of years worth of knowledge and historical records.
1: However, it is possible that records about Cleopatra may have been stored at a sister library in the Holy Serapium. We're not sure exactly when this offshoot was built, but it's first mentioned in a text from 197 CE.
0: Even if the library was built a long time after Cleopatra's death, there's a chance it contained records from her reign. Early Christian author Tertullian, who was the first to mention the second library, wrote that it contained the libraries of Ptolemy. Cleopatra was the last monarch of her dynasty, so there's no chance Tertullian would be referring to any Ptolemaic leaders that came after her.
1: But around 200 years after Tertullian wrote about the Second Library of Alexandria, disasters struck the city. On July 21, 365 CE, a massive earthquake off the Greek coast created a tsunami that struck Alexandria. It's estimated that within Alexandria's walls, around 5,000 people were killed and over 50,000 homes were destroyed.
0: The damage to surrounding areas was even worse. Many smaller settlements were wiped off the map entirely. Over 45,000 people outside the city limits lost their lives. Making matters worse, the sudden flood of saltwater made nearby farmland unusable for several years. While the library probably survived
1: the tsunami, The disaster put the city's pagan administrators in a position of weakness since their various sects were unable to protect Alexandria. Previously persecuted Christian leaders were able to take advantage of this mistrust and rose to prominence. In 381 CE, the Roman Emperor Theodosius I declared that Christianity was to be the Roman Empire's one true religion. Ten years later, he would sanction the demolition of Alexandria's pagan temples.
0: Theophilus, the bishop of Alexandria, led an attack on the Serapium, which contained the temple complex that housed the library. Emperor Theophilus then ordered for a church to be constructed on top of the rubble.
1: Many records from Cleopatra's reign were destroyed, and it's possible that her tomb was also demolished during this period. Although Plutarch's account of Cleopatra's life can't be fully trusted, he did mention her tomb was located in a temple of Isis. If Theophilus really did destroy all the temples in Alexandria, it's possible Cleopatra's tomb was collateral damage.
0: At that point, there was little interest in preserving Cleopatra's legacy. Although Alexandria maintained its intellectual and literary status— scholars became more focused on intellectual matters relating to the still-developing religion of Christianity. However, the city was plagued by warring Christian factions who couldn't agree on what direction the religion should go, and Alexandria fell under Arabic control in 642 CE.
1: The Arabic occupation of Alexandria saw a resurgence of interest in Cleopatra. Arabic writers portrayed Cleopatra as a philosopher, scientist, and astute political leader.
0: The 9th century Arab historian, geographer, and poet, Al-Masudi mentioned that Cleopatra wrote several books on medicine and other scientific fields. Very few Arabic sources portray Cleopatra as a nefarious seductress. Instead, she's portrayed as a powerful leader who protected Egypt.
1: We don't know if Al-Masidi saw the primary sources that Cleopatra wrote herself, or was going off of secondary sources, but it makes sense that the Arabs would have a higher opinion of Cleopatra than the Romans did.
0: Just as Cleopatra had portrayed herself as more authentically Egyptian than her brother, by embracing Cleopatra's legacy, Alexandria's new Arab leaders would have endeared themselves to their new Egyptian subjects— but although the Arabs were eager to follow in Cleopatra's footsteps, they still wanted to put their own stamp on Alexandria.
1: The surviving ancient temples and more recently built Christian churches were converted into mosques. And Alexandria's new leaders focused more on re-establishing the city as a vital trading hub than on restoring its history.
0: The Arabs' ambivalent stance on Alexandria's past was reflected in their treatment of the legendary pharaoh's lighthouse. Although we know it was still standing in 1166 when the Arab traveler al-Balawi visited Alexandria, it was in a state of decay. While Alexandria's Arab leaders didn't go out of their way to destroy the pharaohs, they didn't do anything to maintain it either. By 1477, the pharaohs had crumbled and the sultan built a fort from its ruins.
1: The Ottoman Empire took control of Alexandria in 1517, But by then, the city had lost much of its significance as a trading hub due to the discovery of a sea route to India in 1498. Previously, the most efficient route to India was through Egypt, with Alexandria serving as a vital hub on the journey. Once the faster route was discovered, traders no longer had a reason to stop in Alexandria's harbor. By the time Napoleon invaded Egypt in 1798, Alexandria was little more than a small port its once-proud history now forgotten.
0: But the modern era approached, and Egypt wasn't immune to the march of industrial progress. When a canal was built from Alexandria to the Nile River in 1820, the city once again flourished with newfound trading opportunities. Alexandria's newfound significance caught the eye of the British Empire. It became a home to many European expatriates when the British eventually took colonial rule over Egypt in the 1880s.
1: Alexandria took in a European community of about 100,000 people, many of whom built lavish mansions along the coast. During this period, Cleopatra, who had long been a figure of fascination, became an icon of pop culture.
0: When Europe emerged out of the Dark Ages and into the Renaissance, there was a newfound interest in the ancient world, including Cleopatra and her lost tomb. An illuminated manuscript from 1409 depicts Cleopatra and Antony lying side by side in a Gothic-style tomb, where a famous passage from William Shakespeare's play, Antony and Cleopatra, describes their burial together. No matter what the Senate's wishes be, she shall be buried by her Antony. No grave upon the earth shall clip in it a pair so famous. Thus I covenant to honor these in death, in life my foes, who by their own hands scaped a world of woes." End quote.
1: The first depiction of Cleopatra in film revolved around her lost tomb. Georges Millier's 1899 film Robbing Cleopatra's Tomb was one of the earliest horror movies, Although there are no surviving prints, it apparently involved resurrecting Cleopatra's mummy into a living
0: woman. Around this time, Cleopatra was becoming more of a commercial figure. During the Victorian era, her likeness was used to market a wide variety of household items, including oil lamps, lithographs, postcards, and cigarettes. Claudette Colbert's turn as the eponymous Cleopatra in a 1934 film was used to sell Egyptian-themed beauty products in department stores. By the end of the 20th century, Cleopatra had been
1: portrayed in 43 different films, 200 plays and novels, 45 operas, and 5 ballets. As her romantic life became more and more distorted in pop culture, it seemed that her true legacy as an influential Egyptian pharaoh would be lost.
0: But as technology developed, it finally became possible to properly excavate the ruins of ancient Alexandria, most of which remained underwater. After World War II, Egypt regained its sovereignty from Britain, and President Abdel Nasser began an industrialization program that continues to impact Egypt and Alexandria today. The
1: expansion of food processing and textile industries after the war, the discovery of natural gas reserves in the 1970s, and the opening of a free trade zone brought unprecedented prosperity to Alexandria. In the 1990s, a civic improvement program was launched in the city, leading to wide-scale demolitions in order to build more modern buildings. Ironically, it was this program that led to the discovery of Alexandria's ancient ruins. Among them
0: was Cleopatra's palace.
1: We'll learn how this impacted Cleopatra's legacy in a moment.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: In the 1960s, the Egyptian Navy discovered a massive statue while conducting exercises in the waters of Alexandria's harbor near Kite Bay, the 15th century fort that was built over the ruins of the Pharaoh's lighthouse. The 40-foot statue depicted a queen in the form of the goddess Isis. Although Cleopatra identified herself with Isis, the statue was identified as either Queen Arsinoe, the wife of Ptolemy II, who was deified after her death, or perhaps Berenice I, wife of Ptolemy I.
0: The Egyptian government realized the area held historical and archaeological significance, but there wasn't any technology sophisticated enough to properly conduct underwater excavations. The field of underwater archaeology rapidly progressed, and in 1994, archaeologist Jean-Yves Empereur was invited to map the nearby waters before concrete was poured in to create a breakwater.
1: Along with a documentary team, Ampereur began exploring the bay in spring of 1994. He was one of the first archaeologists allowed to study the area, which the military had marked as off-limits. What he saw took his breath away.
0: As Ampereur and his cinematographer, El Bakri, swam around the bay, Ampereur identified hundreds of building stones. Although it was hard to see through the murky water, he was certain he saw shapes he believed to be statues and columns as well. Unfortunately, the Egyptian government had already
1: placed 3,600 tons worth of concrete blocks for the breakwater, surely obliterating many precious artifacts. Luckily, El Bakri was able to intervene, and the Egyptian government agreed to halt their work while Ampereur and his team excavated.
0: Stunningly, the water in this part of the harbor is only 8 meters deep. So why has it taken so long to uncover these ancient relics? It's mostly because the technology simply hasn't existed until recently. Although the water is shallow, it's incredibly murky, and the relics aren't visible from the surface. It's only recently become possible to truly investigate Alexandria's harbor.
1: Emperor's underwater excavations have yielded what he believes to be the ruins of the old pharaoh's lighthouse. He discovered thousands of architectural blocks, hundreds of columns up to 7.5 feet in diameter, and over 25 stone sphinxes. He also discovered the companion to the statue of Berenice, or Arsinoe, that was removed from the bay in the 1960s. The second statue depicts either Ptolemy I or second. It's believed that this pair of statues was placed just below the famous lighthouse facing the harbor.
0: During the excavations, something strange caught Emperor's eye. He found six columns that bore the of pharaoh Ramses II, who ruled Egypt 900 years before Alexandria was founded. He also found fragments of several obelisks with the mark of Seti I, Ramses II's father. These
1: columns and obelisks were most likely brought from sites along the Nile and used as a way to bring gravitas to the young Ptolemaic dynasty. Just as Cleopatra would later embrace Egyptian customs to enhance her claim to power, it seems as though the early leaders of the dynasty wanted to associate themselves with the traditional icons of Egyptian powers in order to give themselves more authority.
0: Alpereur's discoveries provided key insight into the foundations of the Ptolemaic dynasty and have helped create a clearer picture of the famous pharaoh's lighthouse. He wasn't the only archaeologist scouring the waters off the coast of Alexandria. On the other side of the Kite Bay fortress, Alpereur's fellow archaeologist and rival, Frank Gaudio, was working on his own underwater excavations.
1: Gadio began his project in 1992 before Emperor's excavations began. His goal was to create a comprehensive map of the Magnus Portus, the ancient port of Alexandria. During Gadio's initial dives, his team discovered the wreckage of a massive ancient ship.
0: At nearly 30 meters long and 8 meters wide, the ship was huge by ancient standards. It was most likely a trading vessel, capable of transporting massive amounts of cargo. Gaudio dated the ship's wooden planks to the time of Cleopatra.
1: But as Gaudio's team searched around the wreck, it was too hard to tell what was natural and what was man-made. A hard, meter-thick calcium deposit covered nearly everything, making progress slow as his team chipped away at the rock.
0: In order to expedite the process, Gaudio employed the use of cutting-edge GPS and other mapping technology. He was able to scan the bottom of the harbor for changes in Earth's magnetic field to differentiate between natural and man-made objects.
1: Using these techniques, Gaudio discovered the sunken island of Antirrhodos, which housed the royal quarters of the Ptolemaic pharaohs, including Cleopatra. What do you find relics from Cleopatra's reign here? or possibly even the lost tomb
0: itself. Although Antirodos is a comparatively small island at around two square miles, in archeological terms, it's quite large, especially when you take into consideration that it's completely underwater. But with the technology Gaudio had at his disposal, he was able to locate important areas and artifacts more easily.
1: Two notable relics Gaudio discovered during the excavation's early stages were a statue of Serapis, the serpentine god of Alexandria and the Ptolemaic dynasty, as well as a statue of an ibis, the sacred bird of Egypt. Finds like these let Gaudio know he was on the right track. Perhaps he was uncovering the ruins of the Serapium, the site of the second library of Alexandria. If not, he was at least near a site of religious
0: importance. Unfortunately, it was hard to ascribe an exact date to these artifacts, so Gaudio couldn't be sure if he was going to find any evidence from Cleopatra's reign. But soon, Gaudio's team discovered several stone blocks bearing inscriptions. If they could be deciphered, he might be able to date them based on what they said.
1: Using strips of flexible silicon, Gaudio was able to make copies of the inscriptions without bringing the blocks out of the water and risking their destruction. While none of them made any reference to Cleopatra, they were able to provide Gaudio a clearer picture of the challenge he was facing.
0: One of the inscriptions referred to Ramses II, the same pharaoh whose columns Jean-Yves' empereur discovered in his excavations across the bay. Another inscription was in honor of a Roman emperor who reigned 200 years after Cleopatra's death. This meant that Rhodos probably served as a center of power in Alexandria, even after Cleopatra died and the Ptolemaic dynasty ended, and that it was most likely occupied until the tidal wave destroyed it in 365. But did any relics from Cleopatra's era survive?
1: Not far from the inscribed columns, Gaudio's divers discovered the remains of an ancient wooden jetty. Carbon dating placed them from the 4th and 5th century BCE, hundreds of years before Cleopatra was born. If this wooden jetty could survive for so long, Gaudio hoped relics from Cleopatra's time would as well. But where
0: would those relics be? Finally... Gaudio and his team discovered a series of massive Greek-style columns carved from red Egyptian granite. The decorative stones atop the columns were decorated with Egyptian symbols. Hmm. A combination of Greek and Egyptian? Sounds
1: like something that would be in Cleopatra's wheelhouse.
0: Whether these columns were made at Cleopatra's behest or not... Their massive stature led Gaudio to believe he was getting closer to Rhodo's royal quarters, and perhaps Cleopatra's palace itself. Could these massive columns have served as a monumental entrance to the royal island?
1: It's very likely. Beyond the columns, Gaudio discovered 550 square meters of limestone pavement, a luxury that wouldn't be afforded to normal citizens. More columns line either side of the pavement, perhaps creating a path towards the royal palace. The
0: excavators dug a deep trench along the pavement, which would allow them to date the different sediment layers that had built up. In the layer dated to Cleopatra's time, they found a few pottery shards of pots and cups, as well as a perfectly preserved oil lamp. Although they didn't give any significant information, Gaudio now knew it was possible to discover relics from Cleopatra's reign. An even more encouraging sign came one day when Gaudio discovered
1: a carving of a coiled snake on a stone block alongside an inscription that translated to, quote, eternal life, end quote. Seems like the kind of thing that would signal a tomb. It was certainly an encouraging sign. At the end of the limestone pavement, Gaudio discovered the foundations for a structure 62 meters long. The wooden foundations were dated to around 200 years before Cleopatra was born, confirming that Cleopatra probably inherited the palace rather than having it built herself.
0: But the next discovery Gaudio made left no doubt in his mind that Cleopatra lived in the palace at some point. He excavated an almost perfectly preserved statue depicting the high priest of the cult of Isis. The priest holds a jar topped with the image of Osiris, the Egyptian god of the dead. He also
1: found two stone sphinxes, which were typically used to mark temple entrances. While neither sphinx bore an inscription, academic experts were able to easily identify who one of them depicted. Cleopatra's father, Ptolemy Twelfth a small temple of Isis guarded by Cleopatra's father, located within Cleopatra's royal residence. Could this be the location of Cleopatra's tomb?
0: Like the waters of the Bay of Alexandria, it's a murky issue. With the palace and temple destroyed by natural disasters, it's highly unlikely Cleopatra's mummy would have survived, especially since it's 20 feet underwater. Additionally, there's no evidence of grave goods or any inscriptions that would signal that either Cleopatra or Mark Antony were buried there.
1: So close, and yet so far. While this is certainly a monumental discovery, it doesn't tell us as much as we'd like to know about what Cleopatra was like as a ruler, or tell us anything about the circumstances of her and Mark Antony's deaths. Finding Cleopatra's tomb could tell us so much more about her.
0: But it's almost a good thing that Gaudio didn't find Cleopatra's tomb. If she'd been buried in that temple, she would have been so decomposed, there would have been so few artifacts left that we'd learn almost nothing. We'd never know if she was buried with Mark Antony. We'd never be able to try and decipher whether she really died from an asp bite, or if Octavian possibly murdered her, as some historians believe.
1: Jean-Yves Empereur and Frank Gaudio's underwater excavations in the Bay of Alexandria have re-energized historians' and archaeologists' interest in the area. The Egyptian government is turning parts of the bay into an underwater archaeological park, and there are diving tours available for those who wish to see these artifacts in person. We may not be able to see where Cleopatra was buried, but we can at least see where she lived.
0: There's still hope that we may find Cleopatra's tomb as promising theories evolve from unlikely sources. Next week, we'll delve into one such theory developed by Kathleen Martinez, a lawyer from the Dominican Republic, who believes she knows exactly where Cleopatra was laid to rest.
1: Is Cleopatra's lost tomb closer to being found than ever before? Or is it doomed to be lost to the sands of time?
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Unexplained Mysteries. We hope you've enjoyed part one of our investigation into Cleopatra's lost tomb.
1: If you're looking for more Unexplained Mysteries, you can find us as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Many listeners ask how to help the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. See you next Thursday.
1: And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
0: Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Alex Benidon and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.